Hello and welcome back to the What The Folk Sunderland Review Show. A sterling second half display ensured that it was a cracking weekend for all on Wearside and Michael Beale Sunderland racked up back-to-back home wins with another victory over Plymouth Argyle at the Stadium of Light. Um, as always, we're going to be here to go through it and it's always an absolute delight when we've won and played as well as we did today. So first and foremost, I've got Brad to join me. Brad, how are you doing, chap? You okay? Yeah, good, mate. Um... That was nice coming on number one. Saying that's the only time I ever do come on, like so. No comment. Um, uh, yeah, really good. Apart from like, I'm glad this is a audio, not a visual. <laughs> I am hanging out my ass here. <laughs> it was a struggle going that game today, but the second half was well worth it. I think if um to be fair, if this was at any point a video podcast, it would this episode would be an audio one. I'll be honest. Uh Brad is looking incredibly rough. One man who isn't uh looking quite as rough is Lee. Lee, how are you, mate? You okay? I'm all right, mate. I'm always better when someone pick up three points, as most sure every Sunderland supporter is. Decent weekend. Very, very decent weekend. Good hangover cure, isn't it? Even if you're it not is. hangover, I don't know if you are. It might be. No, I'm not. No. Disappointing. Well, normally it is when someone pick up three points. It's normally a good hangover cure. Yeah, I should ask that question tomorrow, shouldn't I? Um, Brad, I'll, I'll come to you first, but 3-1 win. Um, a really good win. We'll dig into the 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 bolts, the bolts of it, the bones, the bones of it, um, a little bit more, but I think ultimately a really good win. We're speaking at just before 10 o'clock on the night of the match. How are you feeling in the, the aftermath of it? Yeah, really good. I mean... I think Beal touched on it in his interview. He summed it up perfectly. Um, wasn't the best first half, but I don't think... I think a few people maybe got carried away about the first half because we went in a goal down, which was a very sloppy goal. But I didn't think we were that bad. But, I mean, second half, it was just like a completely different team. And that was great to see. Um, that man again in us. He's just... There's levels to this game and he's above the level where we're at. And I, I don't buy this thing where people say, oh, where would we be without Jack Clark? Well, we've got him. He's here. So we are where we are because we've got Jack Clark. Um, but no, it was excellent. And I think that's the first time I've seen in a while where all three goals were excellent. Like really, really good finishes. So yeah. Um, and another game where there's been three different goal scorers, which is... It's, it's like, I think Beale said it, it, was sharing, it looks like they're sharing the workload on the goals and that's a positive because they're coming from all over and we're not overly relying on Clark getting every single goal. So I'm, I'm I'm feeling quite positive after that. Last time we scored three goals of that level of quality, I want to say was 2013 and it might have been at St. James's Park. Um, Lee, I think Brad's touching it really well, isn't it? But how are you feeling after it? Because I think it was a, a really good day for someone today. Yeah, just echo what Brad said, really. Um, first half was a bit dull. Not going to lie, it was a bit dull. And obviously going in 1-0 down didn't affect them. Like, it affected the mood a little bit around the place. But got to credit Michael Bale for his half-time team talks. As we said, he, we came out a totally different team. Pressing with intensity, which we weren't doing in the first half. Um, moving the ball with intent, which again, and at pace, which again, we weren't doing in the first half. And we just tore Plymouth apart, really, in that second half. Um, th- as you say, three quality goals. Three well-worked quality goals. And, um, yeah, three points. 
nothing on another day could have been a little bit more if we were a bit more ruthless in the final third. I wanted to say that actually because we were just talking about it there on the train back. Obviously, I've just got back in the in the house, but I think we've, that's our fourth game we've won at home. Three one. I think it'd be Birmingham, Norwich, Stoke, and now we've also beaten uh, Plymouth three one. So it's three four sorry four three one wins at home. But I think as much as we played well in those games I mentioned before, and they've come at very different parts of the season, Lee. I think. I agree with you on that. It did feel like if we really like, not that we were like sitting back, but if we really continued at the pace we were playing at, it felt like we could have put about four or five past them today if we, if we really, really fancied it. And I think that's a testament to how well we managed the game that, you know, we were just, we were controlling it, weren't we, second half? Yeah, definitely. I'm saying once we got the third, like literally that 20 minute period blew my way, um, didn't. We had a few half chances, but it wasn't really any clear cut ones. But I'm saying, yeah, if we wanted to, we could have went and scored four or five really easily. Glad, even though Plymouth are a decent passing side defensively, they looked a bit shoddy. Mm-hmm. You can tell why at the bottom end of the league, yeah, they've got quality players like Whitaker and etc. But they don't look that good at the back. And I think if we wanted to, we could have scored five or six, but it wasn't needed in the end. Do you know who was playing at the back for them today? And I don't think anyone really noticed. Brendan Galloway. I did in the first half. I let me go to the lads where stood next to his guns. That's Brendan Galloway at left back for them. I think he played he, he played twice for us and he got replaced by Jay Clark Salter, which really sums up his son and career, really, doesn't it? Oh, I don't want to bring any downers on this, but I've seen him play with St. Johnson and he might have been... And you know what? I'm not saying he might have been. He's the worst left back I've ever seen in my life. He sticks out my head because I just couldn't abide him at all but let's forget the bad times there's only positives Brad um, I did feel we were flat first half and I did say as much I didn't think we were bad per se I kind of was struggling to see what the style was I felt it was a bit sluggish and a little bit bland um, but look when you're talking at half time about it not being a very good performance or being bland or you want a bit more and then they do produce it that's literally all you've been asking for but how often does that happen when you go, God, we need to do something a little bit different this second half? And I felt like I couldn't have scripted. If I'd wrote down my perfect second half, I couldn't have scripted how good the second half went. Um, we're touching it a bit, but just how impressive was that second half, Brad? Because for me, that's the best we've played under Michael Beale. Yeah, definitely for me. Um, I don't know if it's the second half, I don't know if it was just me watching it through hungover eyes, but it seems like he maybe he's pushed Bar a little bit further on to support Rusin a little bit more as instead of playing in the hole behind him. He did. The, the position changed 100% because Bar was not in the 10 second half. Yeah, it looked like he was more pushed alongside Rusin because, I mean, for a little lad, Rusin has now got a spring on him. So I think he's maybe being told, go and play off him. And if you win something, you're in. And it seemed like that worked a lot better. Um, and that also allowed us to get a little bit more width and we used our wingers a lot more in the second half by taking out that 10 and trying to play it through like we usually do. So, no, it was very a very good tactical switch. Um, and I think the subs, credit as well, they came on at the right time. I think it was like 63, 64 minutes, which is enough time for it. It's usually enough time for subs to impact the game. I mean, it only took Job maybe a minute and a half to impact it. But, I mean, what a way for him to... Everyone's been saying about needing a break. Yes, he has needed a break. But then for him to have that little first half break, 60-minute break, then come on and put in a performance like he'd done, it's sort of like, 
makes you think, hang on, that that's hurting him, that he's had a little bit of a dip and he's got a point to prove. So, no, I thought to a man, second half, I couldn't really fault anyone. I mean, best player on the pitch today was, I'm sure we'll come on, it was Dan Neal. Uh, oh, mate. That, that's, I, I arguably would say that's his best performance in the Sunderland shirt. He was winning the ball back every single time and his little pirouettes and just getting us on the front foot. And I don't know if that's a tactical thing as well, where he's just being told, get on the ball and drive us forward instead of looking for the little short one-two passes. He was just driving us at every opportunity. And yeah, I think that was his best game. But yeah, I mean, from every player on the pitch, the fans second half, we fed off that energy and the, the atmosphere in the ground went up a little bit more. Um and to the changes from the from the coaching team, everything was just absolutely spot on. You're right; it was by far the best performance from the under Michael Beale for me. Yeah, like without a shadow of a doubt, that was. Um, it's really good how well we performed. I don't think we were like awful first half. I don't. I thought we were bland and lacked a bit of structure, but like it fixed and it, but it fixed so so well. That for me, that's massive. That that says an awful lot because I thought Stoke was good, and we said about Stoke that needed to be the blueprint. And I thought today was better. And I thought we were, I thought we were the better side against Borough last first, like first half last week. Yeah, look, we we weren't great second half, but we we dug in and got the point. Um, we're going to come on to like players specifically that we want to discuss and, and pick one out. But I want to pick someone out sort of randomly because I don't think he's going to get that much. Headlines, Lee. To be honest, because Job scored a goal that was outstanding. Jack Clark. I mean, we'll come on to him later on. But my God, like the, the bloke's just far too good for this level. Far, far too good. Um, but I thought Rusin worked his absolute socks off today. Potentially his socks and his bollocks at the same time. Um, extra work, Lee. But we've talked about a striker that A can score goals. He's got two now. Talk about a striker that can also like run the channels, drag defenders about a bit. I thought throughout the game, first half, his work rate and his running of the channels really give us an extra dimension. And today was the first time in ages where I didn't go, oh, we're just missing the striker. I thought the striker did his job today without needing to score. How good was was Rusin today, and how handy was he? I thought he was fantastic, really. Um... As you say, if your striker's not scoring, what you want them to do is occupy defenders to create space for everybody else. And he did that in abundance today. And I think he always has done it when he started. I think but the thing that held him back a little bit was because we're waiting that long for a striker to score. It went a bit unnoticed, especially when you're not like other areas of the pitch not scoring. But I always I always see myself as well. Yes, I guess your striker is based on how many goals he scores ultimately at the end of the season. But it's the little things that go unnoticed, like when he, as you said, occupying defenders, running in behind, just just to give centre backs something to think about, is the main thing. And I, obviously, I know he's the most experienced out of the three we've got, but he is the best out of the three we've got. And he needs like between the like, now and the remaining of the season, he has to start every game. And that's no, like, I'm not trying to dig out burst or Hermia. But the way we play and the way it suits, he has to start every single game for the end of the season. I'm a bit disappointed he got took off. So I thought as the game got on and Plymouth tired, I thought there might have been a goal in for him. Especially like for how much he literally ran, ran ragged their defence. I thought, oh, there might be like a 
a 90th minute goal where Plymouth just switch off and he ends up getting in and that's like back-to-back games he scored in. But obviously it wasn't meant to be. But yeah, he's. I thought he was excellent today, Rosen. And as yeah. Brad said, for a little lad, he's got one hell of a leap on him. I just he's think, got one hell of a leap on him. I just think he works for everything. Um, I think we talked on him last week because he scored the goal and stuff and I was a bit... I, did, I really didn't want him not to get the credit today because I thought he was even better today. I just didn't have the goal. But like... I don't think he needed it today. Like he, he worked really hard, and I just think the more I watch Rusin, the more I just feel he's the kind of player that's going to work for Sunderland. Um, and I think the goals will will come. I think he'll get a job there. But Brad, we've touched on Daniel. I, I don't know what he can say about more about Daniel. For me, Clark is going to get the headlines, and you know people are going to say he's the best player in the league and stuff like that. But I don't take anything away from Clark because I absolutely love him. I think he's a tremendous talent, and God. I don't know how much longer we're going to be able to watch him because he is that good. But if we're talking about Jack Clark, Dan Neal today, I mean, it's not a one-off either, this. I mean, it just, I don't really know what more I can say about Dan Neal. He's just absolutely class, any air, Brad. Outstanding, mate. And it's getting to the stage now where I'm worried for the summer. Everyone talks about, we don't go up, we lose the likes of Jack Clark. I think Dan Neal will just be as big a blow to lose and there'll be clubs all over him because he is that good. Um, yeah, I think, like I said it just oh, five minutes ago, that was the that was his best performance in a Sunderland shirt. Um, I think, yeah, I think that, I, I don't know if second half he was just given the freedom of just, you just be a centre midfielder. You don't have to hold, you can drive on as well. It was just literally, he was everywhere. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it have, when was the last time we had a centre midfield that we had this much belief and this much confidence in? Um, because it's a heck of a long time. I know you can talk about Corey Evans and his experience and things, but for me, Dan Neal has got the full package, and he's only is he 21, 22? 22, I think. But he's just, I mean, it, it's frightening. Like, he's playing like a 27, 28, 29-year-old with 300 games behind him. What's he not good at? Um, shooting out. with his left foot. <laughs> and when he done that, I actually said to his dad, every, every time when he does that and he misses, just pull his shorts all the way up. It's <laughs> just one of them things, son. Um, but yeah, I mean, that also comes, he doesn't take that shot on. In previous weeks, without the confidence that he's he started to build, um, he'd maybe took a touch, knocked it out wide. But I think the whole team are playing with a little bit of swagger, a little bit of confidence. I mean, the goals that we scored today came from great finishes where sometimes they've gotten them positions and laid it off to someone else. They're all having a pop now. Um, then you talk about Wilson's goal last week, he's had a strike from distance, it's just. The, uh, the confidence in the team has gone up and as a result we're seeing the best of Dan Neal and if we keep seeing that level of performance because with Dan Neal it's consistency and we're seeing that now we've always known he's had it in him but in previous seasons or even the start of this season it was maybe he had three good ones and one you're like mm, mm. but that could also come with he's, he was playing out of position or we were struggling we, we, had, we were flat on numbers so once the team's building that confidence we're just seeing pure consistency from Dan Neal and I worry now as much as like teams coming in for Jack Clark that we can't hold on to him in the summer if we don't go up because he's that good 
you cannot look at Daniel's performance today and not tell me that he's on the verge of being Premier League ready. You just can't. Like, and I've been saying it for weeks. I feel like every week I come on and go, how good was Daniel? Like every single week. And in some ways, I, I'm kind of pleased he maybe doesn't get the plaudits he should, but I'm getting more and more opposition guests coming on here going, Daniel's a different gravy. And I'm like, I know, shut up. Shut up about it. Stop mentioning it. Um, but I think he's outstanding. And today, just I think it was one pass that he put on for Jack Clark when he just spun it. And I mean, the vision's just ridiculous, really. Um, and he gives himself so much time and space because he's like four or five steps ahead of everyone else on the pitch. But Lee, we've waxed a little about Dan Neal. We're going to come at Jack Clark because I don't know what more we can really say about him apart from he's mint. Um, is there any players that we haven't mentioned that you think deserve a bit of a shout out today? Because there's a lot of probably unsung heroes on that pitch today as well. Yeah, yes. Obviously, he's been spoken about in the socials and stuff. But I think Leo Hielders has settled in really, really well. Like, yeah, he's had a few shaky moments in his first two games, but he looks like he's been playing. He looks like he's been playing for Sunderland for years. He's just settled in and he's just dropped straight into the team. And I'm saying he looks like he's been playing for a few years, and I've been really impressed with his first two games. And it look, you can tell he's played for teams like Leeds and Celtic because you have seen players come to Sunderland, and obviously Sunderland being a big club, it gets at them, but it just doesn't phase him playing for a club like this, and he gets it, which is all he wants from a Sunderland player. But I think for a kid coming in, arguably, he's Biggest move, I would say. I know Celtic the Leeds is a big move, but like as a first team regular, not like an academy player, he's just, just gone about his business in the right manner. He's just settled in straight away, doesn't do anything daft, doesn't do anything rash. Yes, he might put a pass like goes two yards the other side and it goes out of play, but you expect that from the only human beings at the end of the day. But I think he deserves a massive shout out because um, it's, he's just settled in really, really well and you can't really grumble against him. You touched on about him like understanding before. I didn't see this, but but um actually noticed that when we were singing Wise Men Say, he kind of looked round and like sort of took it in and then applauded the fans, but like not in a kind of like, whoa, this is amazing, kind of like, oh, I fancy better this. And I think he comes across that in his play. I thought he put some really nice balls in today for technically what's meant to be a centre half. I put I thought he put some decent crosses in, but um you've just mentioned someone in the chat here, Brad that I really want to point out I thought was brilliant today. And I think if it wasn't for Jack Clark being an absolute cheat code at this level and Dan Neal being the best midfielder that anyone has ever seen, evidently, I think this guy would have got play of the match. Um, I thought he was brilliant. Luke O'Neill, how good was he today? I thought he was just great. And, and I feel sometimes he doesn't, I honestly feel sometimes he doesn't always get the credit he deserves when he has a really good game. And I thought today he was exceptional. He was excellent today. And I mean, his passing ability is brilliant. Long balls, short balls. And you can see why Mowbray per persisted with him and Ballard, because he can bring the ball out better than other any other centre-half in the club, without a shadow of a doubt. Because he learned his trade as a midfielder, and we have to remember that. But for me, he is an out-and-out centre-half now. Like, the way he's been performing, especially lately... He's in the top three or four every single game, without a doubt. Um, 
there was one point in the first half, I think, the power pull off a save and then the ball's in the box. And he knew he probably was going to get beaten if he went to jump up in the air for it. So he just body checked him. He put his body in the way and we've ultimately cleared it. And that's clever defending because nine out of ten centre-halves would fancy themselves to go and win that in the air, maybe not head it over the bar or head it wide. He knew that there was it Hardy was a bigger player than him. And he's possibly going to lose it, lose a, a, an aerial duel five yards from the centre of the goal. He wasn't taking that chance, so he just used his body, and that's very intelligent. Um, yeah, I, he was—he's he's just brilliant. I mean, me and you have been big fans of O'Neill since halfway through the first season in League One, I think. Um, and if people are going to slate him for poor performances, which we do as well, when he's had a dip, we've came out and said, mm, "Is it time to have a little bit of a change?" And I feel like people on the other side need to come out and give him a lot of credit when he has games like he had today because he was brilliant. And it's not his first really good game. Like, if you're sitting down to me and saying who Sunderland's five best players been this, this year, he would come into my thought process. He would because there's games like Leeds, Plymouth, there's tons of games I could pick out where he's been really good. You know what it is as well? Lately, I don't know if it's just something that's been coached into him or what, he's cut out a lot of the little bits of bullshit. Getting into needless, needless wrestling matches. He does it now and again. And sometimes it is clever defending, by the way. Because in the Championship, they haven't got use of VER. It's, it's the dark art, as people would say. It's happened for years. Um, But he's cut out all this pantomime villain shit. I mean, which sometimes it's, it's hilarious. I, I, I do love it sometimes. But when it becomes every single week, you sort of like just focus on your football, son, because you are very you are a very able footballer. And now he's cut all that out, and he's I think giving him the armband has also helped him. It's sort of he has to lead the team, and he, he can't be doing all this little kissing people or jumping on people's backs and <laughs> shit like that from last season, which was hilarious. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he's shown to be a great leader and giving him that captain's armband has probably stepped him up five or ten five or ten percent, which for us is outstanding. Yeah, I, I've got so much time for looking at him. Um and we're not like totally biased with him. We, I think there's plenty of times when we've said like maybe try this, try this, try the other. Um but for me, he always comes back and, and bounces back well. And I can't argue with it. And the, today again, he was as outstanding as he as he can be in that position. And I, I quite like him at centre half. Um, something we haven't really touched on yet, Lee. And look, I'm not like um, saying like the last three weeks has changed things completely. Um, the, I think the sh- there's probably still be question marks, but the last few weeks have been good. It's been a lot more positive than negative. And I mean that from the perspective of Michael Beale's tactical decisions, his substitutions, his post-match interviews, his pre-match interviews. Um, there seems to have been some sort of shift today. And and before I kind of ask you the question, Lee, I think I do want to obviously give a word for, for Michael Beale and his family, I think. Obviously acknowledge the support today. But I think... I don't need to, I think in this one case, I speak for all Sunderland fans and definitely everyone on the podcast, but 
I think we want to send him love and strength to his family of what has happened. But on the pitch, I do feel there's been a bit of a shift with Beal as well. And I'm, I've been as critical as anyone. And I'm not going to be revisionist on that. And I'm not saying I've completely flipped on it. But the things I wanted to see, the things we wanted to see from him have happened the past three weeks. We said the Stoke game. Um, I think it was me and Ross were speaking about it. We said that was great in isolation. We need more of that. And I think, okay, Borra wasn't perfect second half. Today wasn't perfect first half. But I think there's a lot of more positives that have come out of the game since Stoke. And there seems to be a little bit more of a blueprint. Um, how big have the past three weeks been for Michael Beale? Because the tide's really been against him, Lee. And I think there's valid reasons why, in terms of when he was appointed in the first weeks leading up to maybe that Stoke game. But nobody here wants Sunderland to lose so that guy could lose his job. I think everyone wants to have, everyone who's like myself, thinks it's a bad appointment, hasn't been impressed with what he's brought to the club in the first few weeks. I want egg on my face because I want him to succeed because it means Sunderland succeed. And if Sunderland succeed, I'm a happy man. I don't care about being wrong. And these past three weeks have really turned something a little bit for me. Um, How big have these past three weeks been for Michael Beale and how much credit does he deserve for turning the wheel a little bit? He deserves a huge amount of credit. Like if you look back two weeks ago and you asked any supporter, um, do you think you'll get seven points out of nine out of Stoke with home, Middlesbrough away and Plymouth at home? They would have laughed at you at the time because there was not a cat in hell's chance we're going to get it. However, as you said, everything we've, we as fans, podcasters, whatever, have asked of him to do, he's done. He's shown that technical side that Christian Speakman spoke about so highly and when he was appointed. Um, I think the main thing for him, though, and it's been said all season, is playing Daniel as the six and allowing Pierre Edouard to go into the eight. I think that's a massive technical like adjustment to what he's done because I think you you're seeing the true Pierre Edouard when he's playing. Um, and obviously Daniel can play as a six and the eight and the ten and play anywhere across the midfield. And but he's better suited so playing the six. And I think when he's changed it. It's made us better as a team. And obviously today, like if you look at it, that first half, th- two, three weeks ago, we wouldn't have come out and played like that in the second half. Not a chance we would have. But it must be the players buying into what he's now actually saying. Or he's just come to the point where I'm going to do what I want to do. And the players are going, fair enough. And as you see, he deserves a huge amount of credit. He deserves a huge amount of credit. Has the tie turned for me? Not yet. He still has a little bit of work to do and he's got two massive games coming up this week with Huddersfield and Birmingham. And if he goes and gets four points out of them, you think if if he gets four points and we're still in the playoffs this time next week, he's going to have to start getting... He's going to... like People will turn, me including, because I've given criticism. But as we said, it's been rightful criticism. But I think as Sutherland supporters, we're not daft. I'm not not saying with them like, the most intelligent fan, fan base around. But we can criticise people when we see people need criticising, but we're also willing to praise people who deserve to be praised. And I think you're seeing that from supporters towards Michael Beale at the present moment in time, because as you say, he's doing everything right and it's coming up crumbs for him. 
I think it just shows how easy it was for him to get stuff right in terms of like his media and stuff in the first few weeks that like, you thought his interview today was absolutely class. I know there's an emotional aspect to it at the end and I've really felt for him because you can see he's he's tearing up and I'm not surprised and I think it's a big strength of character for him to even get on that touchline today because of what's happening. But I think take that emotional question out at the end. His interview was really good. His interview last week was really good. His little jibe that Borough wasn't a derby was quite funny. Like that sort of won me over as pathetic as it is from my side. There's little things he's doing and I'm not totally swung over yet either. No, I'm not. But do I want the cog to be turned towards Beale in and loving Michael Beale and Sunderland being successful? 100%. Like someone today tweeting at us or tweeting at me specifically, get it up here because we won. Fucking all right then. Get it right up me if Sunderland win. Do you know what I mean? Shove it as far up me shiter as you want. I'm not bothered. Like, if Sunderland win, I don't care. Like, but we do speak about the game and see what we see in private to the prior to these three weeks. It wasn't good enough. These three weeks have been excellent. It's not fickleness, uh, yeah. it's just saying what it is, isn't it? I know. Yeah, it's just facts. It's it's it sound like Rafa Benitez there. Um it's just the <laughs> Uh, it it is it's it's not us like but like it, it's it is just realism that the next last three weeks have been really 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 good like last week against Middlesbrough and seeing the first half we were really good and I would say we deserved the point but mm-hmm. before that against Stoke we were really really good and we deserved three points and we deserved three points today and if he keeps that going and he keeps that as we've discussed it two or three weeks ago the Stoke win had to be a start. And he's continued on by picking up a very good point away from home against a very good Middlesbrough side. Then going beating the team at home you expect to beat. And, and now he's well. got Huddersfield away. He's got Huddersfield away and Birmingham away. And if he goes and picks four points out of there, like people like would magically expect him to do, then everything's fine. We, as I say, as fans, we like some like fans are quick to criticise people, but the ultimate thing is we want Sunderland Football Club to succeed. And mm-hmm. if that means Michael Bale succeeds, champion. It's even if he's got a Cockney accent, even if he has got, <laughs> even if he has got a Cockney accent, <laughs> it's, it's just it's, it's football. It's football in it. Yeah. When it got when it, when it's when it when it's gone and shite, people get on people's back. When it's gone and mint this, they heal him as a king. That's just football. The it's only, just the football is the way it goes. The only way for any podcast, be it us, Wiseman say whoever it may be. To be consistently right or consistently not wrong, should I say, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis, is just not to record a podcast or have any opinions. Ultimately, I couldn't care less whether I'm right, you're right, wrong, 100% right, 100% wrong. If Sunderland are winning, just fire me the Jack Daniels, load it up, and I'll enjoy my weekend. And that's all I want to do. Um but we've got about seven-ish minutes left here and we've got loads of listener questions in. So uh, let's just go for it. The first one, I'm liking me dafty ones. So let's go for a dafty one. Uh, Brad, if he wasn't a footballer, what job would Dan Neal have? Work on the back shift at Nissan. Do you reckon? From Sunderland. <laughs> it's a good bet that's <laughs> Someone on the area is going to be working there or one of the suppliers, Lee. I think you'd work in a crisp factory. 
Don't know why. I just I, that one that one closed in Peter Lee, didn't it? So he'd have to travel quite far. I think he'd move. I think he'd do it. Um, I'll give the next one to you, Lee. Um, let's have a look what we got. All right. I like this question because I think it throws up a lot of good memories, so I'm going to ask it. Um, where do we rank Jack Clark as a Sunderland left winger? Is he the best we've had there? For me, it would always be Alan Johnson because growing up, I thought he was terrific, but there's loads of really good answers in there. And I think, you know, Jack Clark could potentially be in that conversation, especially for the younger generation. But where does he where does he lie for you, Lee, at the moment? He's been slowly creeping his way up my list all season. But I think after Teddy and Stoke and Middlesbrough, I would say he's the best, in my opinion, the best left winger we've had. I agree with your point about Alan Johnston. However, Jack Clark hasn't got Quinn and Phillips in the penalty box to aim for. So he's having to do everything the majority of himself. And he's winning games by himself, which is something Alan Johnston never did. But in my opinion, I would say he's up there as being the best left winger I've ever seen play for some, in my in my opinion, anyway. Julio? That's... I don't know. I think with Julio, he still didn't produce the amount of stuff that Jack Clark is. Could say he played at a higher level. Where is that argument, I guess? You could. Kevin Kilban I mean, obviously was a fantastic left winger. <laughs> oh, Kevin Kilban. You just had to be there, didn't you? Um I give the next one to you, Brad. Uh who are our three most valuable players and realistically what's their market value? Jack Clark. Mm-hmm. That's given and I would say nothing less than 25 million mm-hmm. currently um, Dan Neal the same if Alex Scott's going for whatever he went for Dan Neal's got to be that at a minimum and probably more in sell-on add-ons and shit like that um, and probably Dan Ballard but I would counter the Dan Ballard one if Lugo Nyan was four years younger I'd put him in that category because I think a lot of people will be looking at him as well. But I think it'll be Ballard around twenty million. You know, Air Clark and Dan Neal, twenty-five million at a minimum. I'd agree, probably. I think the valuations is what I'd want as well, but I don't think we'd get. But I, I agree if, as well. If Trey Hume continues at the rate he's going, I'd arguably say he's more of an asset than Dan Ballard is. Purely because of Dan Ballard's injury record over the last couple of seasons. I think a lot of people are starting to pay attention to Trey Hume. I think, was it the BBC podcast that um, Simon Pride and Nick Barnes done the other day? They had this conversation with Frankie about, I think Trey Hume could be one of our most valuable assets as well. Mm. And I've, 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 I've thought about that and I think how many out-and-out solid right-backs around these days who are just right backs you were right backs usually you look at wing backs or left uh, right centre half for how people set up he is just an old school out and out right back that loves a tackle and can get forward when he needs to 
like I, I, I see elements of maybe not the same level, but like how Gary Neville used to play. Yeah, I think he's that good. No, I get what you mean with that. He's he's a right back, not a right wing back. Like he's a right back, but I think he's also really versatile. I actually don't mind him that much in a back three. I think he's actually quite good in the air and stuff like that as well. Um, there was one more, but I suppose it uh, it's a slight negative, so I'm not going to do that because it was positive. So we'll go the good, the bad, and the hmm. I'll give you mine all in one. Uh, the good whole second half response to the first 45, I thought exactly what I want to see from Sunderland um, and just, yeah, makes me feel really happy. The bad, there's not much, but like if I'm going to pick one out, I thought Pato was a bit dodgy today. I thought he could have done better with the goal. Uh, he made a bit of a mistake second half, but like I'm really like splitting hairs. Um, the hmm is the next two games. I think they're really huge in the context of uh, Sunderland's season and probably Michael Beale's time at Sunderland because if he can get like a four points out of that, that's huge. Um, and I think then the wheel really will start a turn. Ask you, Lee, what's your, your good, the bad, and we've got about a minute left, so uh, let's go for it. Good. Dan Neil, fantastic. He's your modern-day deep-line playmaker. The bad... Being consistently shite referees that we constantly get. Because I thought the referee was shit today. And the hmm. Eh, I don't have one. Hmm. You don't have to have one. I, I can't Should, really should your hmm be? I can't think of a hmm. I, me hmm, as I can't think of a hmm. Brad, what's yours before we go? Good. The fans. For Michael Beale. Yeah. That was excellent. The bad, I don't want to see Abdullah Bar playing in the 10. I think he's better when he's wide or he's up, playing the two up front. And the hmm is former Sunderland players playing at right back um, and being rinsed by Jack Clark. Let's just hope that Tony Mowbray um, puts Alex Pritchard right back next weekend and we'll see another masterclass. <laughs>